center beer before we started <laughs> because we're talking about heavy shit yeah and you need to be goofy as fuck you're 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 setting me up to be the comic relief tonight aren't you yeah all right that's fair time to bring in the goof bring in the big goofs that's me <laughs> yeah it's me although before we came in i did chug an entire pint of water because i was like i'm already lit i need to counterbalance this does that actually dilute the beer in your body no it just makes you more hydrated. Oh, that's good too, though. It just puts the water in your bones. <laughs> Do you only put so the your water, water bones. <laughs> water <Do> bones. You... <laughs> DJ Water Bones. Yeah. Here to play music for fish. But not the band fish, like actual fish. Just an, for an aquarium. I'm here to just play it at an aquarium. That would be fucking rad. A rave at an aquarium? Yes. I'm sure it's happened before. Oh, my God. I went to an Andrew W.K. show at a modern art museum, so I I can see a rave at an aquarium. Oh, my God. Like, I just want to go out dancing again. I just want to dance. I just want to dance. <laughs> no, I just... It's fine. Everything's fine. I just want to go to the Bradley and put on some 80s jams on the jukebox that everybody else is going to hate yeah. and get drunk on Jenny Cremails and dance on the radiator. Yeah. And then be like, where's Kirsten Gillibrand? I thought this was her favorite bar. This is bar. her favorite bar. Where is she? Oh, that's right. She's never fucking been here. Kirsten right. Gillibrand. Yeah, we're calling you out, Kirsten. We, if you, We if, know your life and it's not at the Bradley. You know what? When this is over, you want to prove us wrong? Meet us at the Bradley. You'll know when. Three o'clock. Outside. <laughs> I mean, inside. But inside. I prefer the dank darkness of the Bradley. And also maybe like 10 p.m.-ish? Yeah. I Not think we've, we've done this wrong. Yeah. Maybe 3 a.m. They don't even open at 3 o'clock. <laughs> Welcome to Rock Candy. Hey. Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of stories from the world of music. And we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week, we're going to be screaming into the abyss Telling yeah. people to stop blaming music for bad things oh. happening. Can we stop, though? It's it's just a shit show of a show today, basically. Ah, yes. The classic shit show show. Mm-hmm. Mm, yes. My <laughs> it's, favorite. It's Japanese. The shit show show. <laughs> shit show show. <laughs> show enough. <laughs> that's, that's this week's theme. Show enough. Mm. Yeah, today we're going to talk about um, the song Jeremy. By Jeremy Spokeo, <laughs> class today. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those songs that has like classic misheard lyrics because you cannot decipher what the fuck Eddie Vedder is saying in basically any <laughs> any Pearl Jam song. You know, I don't know. I feel like that is one of those songs though. If you just keep listening to it, you do eventually figure out the lyrics. Yeah, you got to close your eyes real tight and real really listen. 
and really try and decipher it syllable by syllable. Clearly, I remember picking on the boy. <laughs> Seemed a harmless little fuck. Yep. Hey, you got it. Ooh, but we at least <laughs> like You don't it. need to go through the whole thing. We'll talk about it soon enough. But okay. yeah. But yeah, that's <laughs> that conversation is going to segue into the general does music actually have any bearing on people that commit crimes? Ooh, ooh, I know, I know. Maggie. No. You are correct. <laughs> Yay, me. Do I get a gold star? Spoilers. It doesn't. <laughs> Come on. If you came in here thinking otherwise, get the fuck out of here. Who Do you know who you're listening to? Like, you know what our answer is already. Yeah, come on. What do you think this is? I heart radio? We're just going to present you with an hour and a half of proof that it doesn't. Also an hour and a half of dick jokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It is presented in a series of dick jokes because, of course. Welcome to Rock Candy, an hour and a half of proof and dick jokes. You're welcome. We provide both things here. Yes. We are intelligent yet immature here at Rock Candy Podcast. Find yourself a podcast that can do both. (laughs) But I am glad you brought me beer. I needed beer tonight. I did. It's like pouring smiles on my brain. Is it? Because it's kind of an old bottle. (laughs) It is an old bottle. However, honestly, the beer guys, is our, quite good. our beverage center, our local beverage center, does not rotate their beers all that often. Mm-mm. And every once in a while, we mistakenly get an old beer. But it's this one's good. so good. It's still good. So for the episode this week, we are drinking Road Jam by Two Roads. It is ale brewed with raspberries and lemongrass is added. Oh, good for the lemongrass. <laughs> Yo, guys, I did it. are at the party. Lemongrass is like, guys, I finally made it. I made it onto a bottle. I'm finally in with the berries. It's finally my time. This is not the 8%er that you gave me before we started. No, the 8%er I gave you before we started had literally everything in it. Hazelnut, salted caramel, peanut butter. Peanut butter, hazelnut, caramel, chocolate, triple, triple layer cake. From beer frog, frog beer, <laughs> hoppin frog, hoppin, <laughs> who I've never heard of before. I think it's a trick beer. Yeah, it was a very characteristic beer. It can smells like a Yankee Candle. It does. It doesn't taste terrible, but it's not my favorite. It's uh, here's the thing: if you're into what some may call a lot, yeah, then you would like this. Yeah, and I'm into a lot, so I'm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm vibing on it, but I'm also drunk as fuck now. I think they could have maybe crossed off a few of the things in it. Hazelnut. It would have been much better. I don't think the caramels needed either. I don't really like caramel in beer. It's not my favorite. And also, I am drinking a cider by King's Highway that's actually really fucking good. It's delicious. Esprit de Corpse. Which yes. is supposed to be French, but I don't know French, so. Wee oui, wee. Oui. All right. We're into it, kids. Buckle up. Get ready to talk about depressing shit. Yeah, we're going to try real hard to be comic relief here because this is heavy shit. I mean, first of all, Pearl Jam. I Eddie mean, Vedder's voice alone feels like a million pounds. <laughs> Just his leaden voice. Mm-hmm. Do you know he's only five foot seven? <laughs> I love that you just know the heights of men. I get very dance. curious because I always do a Google Im- image search on the people we talk about. TBH, I would have pegged 
Eddie Vedder is like a six foot one type of guy. I would have too, but he's only five foot seven. Very small guy. All right, well. He was called Little Eddie Vedder when he was a kid because he was diminutive. Very creative, school kids. Very creative. He was hot, though. Oh, no. I Young Eddie Vedder. Hot. Can get it. Yeah. Mm. But that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Again, trying to dissuade from the topic at hand. Actually, before we do that. Yes. I'm going to give a warning. Oh. We're talking about heavy shit, like for real. Yeah. We're talking about school shootings. We're talking about mental illness. We're talking about rape. We're talking about violence. We're talking about a lot of heavy shit today. So if these are things that make you uncomfortable or you don't want to hear it, I highly suggest you stop listening. Okay. I'm out. Bye. (laughs) Okay, so many people read the lyrics to Jeremy and assume the song is about a singular incident that happened exactly the way the lyrics say they did. But that's not entirely the truth. Mm -hmm. The song is not a word-for-word retelling of a single school shooting incident. It's actually a combination of two real-life incidents that affected Eddie Vedder enough that he felt compelled to write about them. That's right. One morning, while reading the local Dallas, Texas newspaper, slurping some coffee and housing a nice southern breakfast, Eddie Vedder came across a small article that caught his eye. It wasn't a big headline news, just a blurb. Richardson teenager kills himself in front of classmates. Jesus. The article was about a boy named Jeremy Wade Dell, a 15-year-old sophomore that committed suicide in front of his class of 30 students at 9.45 a.m. on January 8, 1991. The morning began with Jeremy missing his first class, so his second period teacher, Faye Barnett, asked him to get an admittance slip from the main office. A few minutes later, Jeremy returned to the classroom but didn't have a slip. Instead, he held a 357 Magnum revolver. He walked to the front of the classroom and said, Miss, I got what I really went for. Before anyone could even react, Jeremy put the barrel of the gun in his mouth and shot himself. I can't even fathom being a kid in that class. Right? And fucking seeing that. Right? And this is high school? Middle school? He was he was a sophomore, so tenth grade. Okay, yeah, it was high school. Like, yeah, I mean, enough fucked up shit happened when we were in high school that was hard to swallow. I can't even imagine. Yeah, a lot of there was enough like day to day bullshit and drama, and feeling like you're a piece of shit. Your friends are pieces of shit. Yeah, exactly. everybody around you is a piece of shit. Your parents are a piece of shit. That like. To have to go to class and be surprised with such a traumatic event. Yeah. Holy fuck. And this is also 1991. Mm-hmm. So um, counseling was like not a thing. <laughs> you don't need therapy. No one needs therapy. No. You want to talk? No. Okay. Bye. Yeah. You know, that was pretty much it. Jesus. Student suicides were not a new phenomenon to Richardson High School. But this was the first time a student killed himself within the school and in front of an entire class. I got to throw it out there. I don't think anyone killed themselves when I was in high school. You would think, but that is not true at all. Like, I mean, in my school? In your school, maybe. That's what I meant. I'm but sorry. In in schools in general, like, I'll get into it later, but s- school shootings are not a new thing. 
Oh, it's, I mean, definitely not. It's not that they just started happening in more frequent numbers recently. It's just that the media just started reporting on them more frequently. Interesting. They still fucking happen. Like, at this school in particular, for instance. Some students heard the gunshot but thought the class was performing a play or someone just slammed a book too hard. Mm. No one thought much of it until they looked into the classroom and saw a bleeding boy on the ground or until they heard a classmate running down the halls and screaming. And the student body as a whole was traumatized, but it's hard to tell if they could see this coming or not. Many students describe Jeremy as quiet and withdrawn, a sensitive boy that missed school a lot, but none of them knew he was suicidal. One girl described how she would pass notes back and forth with Jeremy during an in-school suspension. He always signed off his notes with write back, but a few days before the shooting, he wrote later days. She didn't know what if that meant anything or not. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know what to get from that either. But the story goes much deeper than that. Mm. Jeremy Dell was a very troubled boy, but whether his classmates could see that or not, we don't really know. He came from a broken home and clearly had psychological issues that weren't properly addressed because it's the 1980s and early 90s. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're not going to be properly addressed. No, of course not. I mean, even when we were in high school in the late 90s, I mean. Yeah, like. It was getting better. Some of my students went to, like, this thing called Banana Splits. Which was for kids that have divorced parents. Oh, that I feel like that's kind of an insensitive name for that. Kind of. Right? But also kind of cute. Yeah, I it's guess. cute and insensitive. Cutely insensitive. Yeah. But like, there was a stigma that went along with that. Like, kids knew that you were leaving class because you had to go to banana splits because your parents were divorced, you know? Oh. That feels icky. And there's nothing wrong with your parents being divorced, but there was still the stigma, stigma. Yes, in the early 90s. I'm sorry. And that's what I meant. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong. I ain't got to harp no, 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 on no, no, no. for divorce. Right. <laughs> but, Neither one of us are. But right. like. But yeah. I, kids were sh- kids are shitty. Kids were shit, especially in the early ni- late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, when we didn't know any better. Yeah. And our parents still held the conventional idea that divorce was wrong and also i can just see shitty middle school kids being ha ha your parents are divorced it's <laughs> but probably because of you but they're like ha ha you have to stay in math class i get to leave fuckers <laughs> <laughs> uh, math sucks eat a dick <laughs> it does it does though they mm. can't eat the dick a plus b equals eat a dick <laughs> Take that Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> Show you my isotope. <laughs> More like isonope. Oh my god, get out. We're done. Math puns. <laughs> anyway. Yes. He acted out in school repeatedly, landing himself in ISS more often than not. He exhibited signs of serious depression and anxiety, which resulted in destructive behavior. Like stealing, threatening his teachers, and repeated suicide attempts. Yep. He was in and out of a treatment center called Timberlawn in in the year leading up to the shooting, mostly because he attempted suicide three times during that year. Oh my god. And all they did was keep shoving him off to Timberlawn. Like, I get it. Like, you don't know what else to do with your kid. But, like, if sending him to Timberlawn didn't work the first time... 
then maybe don't send him there. Especially because every time I say Timberlawn, I think of Justin Tim- Timberlake. Oh, I always think of Timberland. <laughs> If he was running that place, it would be totally different. It'd be totally, but you know, they if, should get Timbaland to run Timbaland. First of all, everybody's getting a fucking pair of Tims. Considering what he did for Missy Elliott's career. What could he do for these what kids? What could he do for these troubled Miracles. children? Miracles. Now, yeah. let me tell you right now, the last thing a kid needs when they are crying out for someone to fucking hold them and love them and say, all right, the world is shit. I don't hate you. Mm-hmm. Is to be shipped off to a fucking institution yeah because you know what's going to alienate you from your family real quick not being with your family and being in a place where you really don't want to fucking be yeah yeah some think that he may have had borderline personality disorder it's possible he had two relationships with girls leading up to his death and he obsessed over them in an unhealthy way that's also just being a teenager am i right but this was definitely the if you leave me i'll kill myself kind of situation and he seemed to have the detachment from reality that characterizes people with bpd right and this was all going on in the background far from where his classmates could see it Mm -hmm. they just saw a quiet kind of depressed and lonely kid that got in trouble a lot and jeremy's friends maybe could have seen it and he actually sent suicide notes and tapes to them But they didn't arrive until after the shooting happened, so they couldn't have done anything anyway. Yeah, this is 100% a tale of a troubled kid that desperately needed help, but no one paid attention to it. Yeah. I don't want to blame his parents for ignoring him, because from everything I read, it seems like they really loved him and at least tried to get him some help. Right. There is definitely, especially then... You they were doing like, everything what the fuck am i supposed to do yeah they were doing everything i guess everybody thought they should be doing yeah even in the late 80s if a child was troublesome and showed signs of mental health issues the thing you did was throw them into a rehab or a mental health facility mm-hmm. for a couple weeks then put them right back into school which more often than not was the source of their depression and anxiety in the first place and the cycle would start all over again yeah and there were few attempts to dig deeper into the problem or even send them somewhere else for help. Instead, we get the story of Jeremy Wade Dell. Mm. That's so sad. I didn't realize how deep the story went. I did know that there was a basis on an actual in-school suicide. Mm-hmm. But I didn't... But yeah. we... You, I the, didn't know the story of the, the actual person who did it. Yeah, and when... um. When this song came out, like it was early 90s, we didn't have the internet. We couldn't share information that easily. So if Pearl Jam wasn't willing to talk about it, yeah, we didn't know the story. And quite frankly, we weren't even 10 yet when this came out, I don't think. Right. Or maybe we were just 10. Either way, we weren't even in middle school. So It came out only... in 92. Really? Yeah. So yeah, we were eight. Eight. Yeah. So basically, the song comes out and... You know, all I really caught was Jeremy spoke in class. I'm like, well, good for him. He spoke up because I'm eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're like, no, that's good. He spoke. He got the right answer. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Nash the recess lady's breath or breast. I'm not going to understand what that meant. I don't know what that means. I'm not. So going back to Eddie Vedder eating his breakfast. Nom, nom, noms. <laughs> nom, nom, noms. He reads this article about Jeremy Dell in a Dallas newspaper, and it got his brain gears working. 
The article had much less information than I just gave you. I figured. It was a basic article detailing the incident, but gave very little info about Jeremy, his background, his mental health issues, or whether he was bullied in school or not. Mm. Eddie just knew that this shooting happened in front of a class of 30 kids, and this boy Jeremy could have been depressed. Probably. Probably. You know what? I'm going with probably. Good instincts, Miss Devetta. (laughs) Yes. Good for Mm. you. But it got Eddie thinking about what kind of legacy this left after a tragic incident like this. Reading that newspaper, all he could think was, this is it. You kill yourself in this tragic way, traumatize all these people, and all you get is a little article in a newspaper, and then everyone forgets about you, and life goes on. Except for all those kids in that class. Yeah. Those kids did not forget. Arguably, that's not the way it happens now. Not only is news shared immediately thanks to the internet, but school shootings are like fresh meat to the media. Ugh. In like the grossest, in the most worst petri way. dish way. In the worst way. Is and it I feel like that started with Columbine, which I will get into we'll get later. To. But in 1991, things were different. School shootings still happened just as much as they do now, but they were not publicized anywhere near as much. So someone could commit suicide in a school in Texas, and a few days later, everything is right back to normal. That's so weird. It's weird to think about it like that now. Yes. Because it's not like that at all now. Like, everything, every school shooting is publicized to a point where we hear about it so much. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um. But it just, it makes it seem like it's happening so much more. Like it's a new phenomenon. Right. Like, and uh, I I like that it's a good argument for gun control. Yes. But you- at the same time, it's like being, re- it's like all the victims and the people involved are being re-traumatized every time a new story flashes on the screen yeah. or Like they can't online watch TV or, or even yeah. go online. Yeah, you're right. They can't go on media or social media or anything. There's just so many more opportunities to be re-traumatized yeah. now than there was before. You know who I'm going to blame? Um, Jeff Sessions. I was going to blame Nancy Grace, but Jeff Sessions ain't a bad one either. I'm also going to kind of blame Nancy Reagan. Oh, I'm going to always blame Nancy. Here's the thing. I can always blame Nancy Reagan. I'm going to blame Nancy Reagan. Fuck you, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> I don't care if you're dead. Come fight me, Nancy Reagan's ghost. You don't want to do that. Like, chill with who you're, like, conjuring up here. Yeah, she will probably actually kick my ass. <laughs> no, I'm not going to lie. Nancy Reagan's probably a fucking dirty fighter. Nancy Reagan's ghost is a dirty fighter and probably has, like, really weird powers. Oh, yeah. She's just going to change the whole look of my apartment, and it's going to be all paisley, and I'm going to fucking hate it. Oh, no. She's going to put up so much wallpaper. Oh, God, she will. Wallpaper everywhere. On the floor, on the walls, on the ceiling. Just wallpaper. Fucking Nancy Reagan's ghost. (laughs) So Eddie wanted to do something about that. He didn't want everything to just go right back to normal. Right. He wanted to kind of commemorate this. Yeah. And not necessarily for positive or negative, just... Hey, this is the thing that happened. Exactly. Yes. So he wrote the lyrics to what would eventually become the song Jeremy, but Eddie didn't know the details about Jeremy's life. He didn't know that he was a loner or if his parents ignored him. He didn't have that information. And that's where the second story behind the song comes in. Hmm. Eddie grew up mostly in San Diego, California, where he had a relatively tumultuous childhood. Oh. He was 
Born in Evanston, Illinois in 1964, and his parents divorced shortly after he was born. He was raised to believe his stepfather was his real father. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh. I think, didn't Lemmy have the same kind of childhood? I was drunk for every episode we've <laughs> ever recorded. But yeah, probably. Anyway, he lived in Illinois for several years with his parents and stepbrothers, as well as seven foster siblings. Oh my goodness. After moving to San Diego, Eddie's mother and stepfather divorced, and that's when he learned about his biological father. BT dubs, I ain't even your real father, kid. <laughs> what? And basically, yeah. Ooh, ouch. Dad, you're not my dad. You're not my dad! <laughs> but I learned it from watching you. Yeah, well, go learn it from your real father. <laughs> oh, oh, Eddie. Poor Eddie. Aww. Still, he opted to stay in San Diego with his stepfather so he didn't have to change schools. All right, that's legit. Yeah, still, he had it rough in school, or at least that's what Eddie has claimed. There are people out there that say Eddie has embellished his childhood to make it seem rougher than it was. Okay. Which, to what end? Like, I don't understand why he would do that. Mm, yeah, but no. Especially, like, he doesn't really talk about anything to the press, so why would he embellish his childhood? I don't... Yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a lot, and it's weird. It's stupid. I'm just going to believe what... It- ever he fucking says yeah he hasn't lied to me yet (laughs) and he hasn't lied to me yet damn it yeah he got into trouble sometimes and had fights with other students including one named brian who had become the second inspiration for jeremy Mm. brian wasn't someone that eddie knew very well but eddie tussled with him a couple times for the same dumb reasons kids always get into fights hormones raging boners (laughs) it's just raging boners right You get a raging boner, you have to fight somebody. God, I have a that's, boner. How am I going to get rid of it? I'm going to get no fight. That's the, those are the rules of male adolescence. I did it. <laughs> You're welcome. More sex ed. I'm here. <laughs> raging boners coming through. Well, that'd be a good band name, Raging Boners. <laughs> Especially if it's an all-female group. You should, cha- <laughs> you should change your Wi-Fi oh my God, name to Raging Boners. <laughs> writing that down. Write it down so you don't forget. (laughs) One day when Eddie was in seventh grade, Brian walked into Eddie's school and opened fire on a geography class. What? Yeah. He smashed a fish tank to pieces, but luckily no one was hurt in the incident. And Eddie remembers it clearly as he was in the hallway outside the classroom and heard the gunshots. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my God. No wonder that story fucking struck him so hard. Raging boners, man. (laughs) what they do to you the gun is a metaphor for a reason guys (laughs) it really is we don't know a whole lot about brian's backstory and neither did eddie but he took the story of brian and combined it with that of jeremy wade dell to form the lyrics to the song obviously lyrics like clearly i remember picking on the boy seemed a harmless little fuck are about brian yeah but have been transferred onto jeremy Mm, okay this kind of angered people when the song came out. People who knew Jeremy Wade Dell thought the lyrics painted an inaccurate picture of Jeremy and oh. his family. And they weren't exactly wrong, no. considering the lyrics were describing Brian and not necessarily Jeremy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's wrong. 
His parents didn't ignore him. In fact, they loved him very much. Oh, God. He had friends. He was a talented artist and he loved his family. And many Pearl Jam fans assumed the lyrics were solely about Jeremy Dell, not realizing Eddie could have been referencing this whole other story instead. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, I'm just really fucking sad now. Yeah, there were a lot of um, Jeremy's friends and classmates that were like, yeah, we're kind of angry <laughs> that yeah, they, and they did this song. Be. And um, Eddie even like sometimes says he regrets writing the lyrics without reaching out like he wanted Mm. to reach out to the family when he was writing the song but he felt that he would have been intruding right yeah which i I understand yeah that i mean how like fucking awkward hey so i'm writing the song about your kid (laughs) imagine this is what anybody talks like i talk in songs um and then the parents like we don't really want you to yeah, I mean, like, this happened in early January 1991. Eddie wrote the song later in 1991, mm. so it was still kind of fresh. It, that's so, stupid like, fresh. They would be like, no, don't write this fucking song about my son, or, you like, grunge, maybe... you drug-addled grunge weirdo. <laughs> maybe just, like, maybe you don't have to call it Jeremy. <laughs> maybe call you it... could call it Brian. Or, like, Marami. <laughs> Barami? Call it Barami. That way you're mixing Brian and Brer-a-me. Jeremy. Brarami spoken class today. And he's saying Brarami? What is a Brarami? But either way, the song became a massive hit and launched Pearl Jam into the grunge stratosphere. It is still their biggest hit ever, helping their album 10 go 13 times platinum. Yo. 10, 10 is so good. Is we have to do a review. A album. <laughs> it's so good. And you forget how good it is. Because like it's got Jeremy, Black, and um Even, Even Flow. Even Flow, but also Alive and um, Oh Alive. Yeah, like here's the thing. It has like the songs that you know Pearl Jam for. Yeah. So you forget about the songs that you don't know Pearl Jam for, and then you hear the whole album in its like total, and yeah. you're just thinking, wow, this is Damn, Pearl Jam's good. Yeah. It, it makes you find a new respect for Pearl Jam. There is also a three-story um, conceptual arc in that album Oh, that includes a B-side that I never knew existed and is extremely interesting. Mm. So without giving too much away, it's really good. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that. Oh, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. All right. I'm here for it. Equally as popular and controversial was the music video for Jeremy. Mm. I surprisingly do remember this music video. It's because you could not turn on the TV when we were kids and not see this video. Oh, no, no. No, it's because, like, even when I, 10 years later, practically had MTV, they were still playing this video. They were. Yeah, But it was, was like, at this point when MTV only played rock music at night, do you remember that? Like 120 minutes and yeah, shit like that. Yeah, like the rock show. Oh, that was yeah. VH1. But either way, yeah, that's when I would catch those videos. <laughs> and Headbangers Ball. Yeah. As we all know, Pearl Jam are not fans of making music videos. Mm-mm. So it's no surprise that they really didn't want to appear in this one. <laughs> yeah. 
The director, Mark Pellington, convinced Eddie to do some solo singing cuts, which were filmed in a warehouse in London. I do really remember like him straining his face, and I they thought this were is intense. how he sang. But I think that just might also be because like, I hate being <laughs> in music videos. Yeah, his, his singing shots were fucking intense. Like, you could see the veins in his neck. You could see a lot of his bottom teeth, and that's... <laughs> How you knew he was serious. Yes! Oh my god, that's all I can think of is Eddie Vedder and and teeth. Bottom teeth. Bottom teeth. Yeah. (laughs) But Eddie wasn't going to be the main focus of of this video. The heavy lifting was left to a child actor who would play the part of Jeremy. After Eddie's bits were completed, the director poured through 200 audition tapes looking for the right kid to play the titular part. They gave the role to Trevor Wilson, who nailed the audition by being sick and over it that day. Oh, he's like, I'm not acting. I really don't want to be here. Yeah. And that's exactly what they were looking for. (laughs) (laughs) He just nailed the part. It may have only been a music video, but Trevor's depiction of a disaffected young teen fed up with being bullied comes through in the most unambiguous way. Yeah. Yeah. You feel this kid's hurt as he slams his fists on a dining room table in front of parents too preoccupied with yelling at each other than comforting their son. Mm. And you feel his mental anguish as he's running through the woods and scribbling pictures with crayons. Yep. And you definitely felt the pit of your stomach yelling, oh no, as he walks (laughs) to the front of the classroom and appears to take a gun out of his pocket. Mm Mm-hmm. There is always a bit of confusion at the end of the video that has only recently been cleared up. Oh. Jeremy walks into the classroom, tosses an apple to the teacher, appears to pull something out of his pocket, but then the screen goes black before showing the classroom full of bloodied students. And MTV forced Mark Pellington to cut out a scene of Jeremy putting the gun barrel in his mouth. So there was always some ambiguity about whether he shot himself or, or the, the students. students. Most people thought that he shot the students. Yes. I thought he shot the students. Yes. He didn't. But this year, Pearl Jam released the uncensored version of the video. Oh. So fans can finally get some questions answered. Yes, indeed, Jeremy shoots himself. All right. Wow. So they just released that this year? I didn't even notice that. That's because it happened during lockdown when time was eternal and didn't mean anything. I'm sorry. When is it? I don't know. It's 2085 now. Oh. Man, thank God for skincare because I still look good. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Alcohol doesn't age you. Nope. Just rub it on my cheeks. (laughs) Stouts are great for your cheeks. The video won the band a bunch of awards, including four at the 1993 MTV Video Awards. And Trevor Wilson accompanied the band on stage when they won. But that would be the last time the public saw Trevor Wilson, the actor. He was a shy kid that realized pretty quickly that fame, that the fame that came with being in the Jeremy video wasn't what he wanted at all. He retreated to a regular life, earning a master's degree and living in places like Italy and Egypt. Shit. But sadly, Trevor died in 2016 at the age of 36 in a drowning accident in Puerto Rico. Oh, come on. Right? Like, there is nothing good about any of this. Fuck. 
Like, just tragedy after tragedy. I was like, oh, good for him. Like, honestly, like, I can appreciate a kid with that much insight. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. And he's seeing, like, fucking, I've never been to Italy or Egypt. That sounds wonderful. He got his master's degree in Italy. He was doing, like, an internship with the UN in Egypt and all this shit. And then, like, during a break in a, a lull in careers... He was like, I'm just going to stay at my friend's house in Puerto Rico for a little while and get my shit together. And then I'll come back to the U.S. and, you know, start a new job. And then he drowned. Yo, fuck this world. Yeah, basically. Also, fuck the ocean. I I mean, I like the ocean. I like the ocean, but also fuck you. The ocean can hear you. (laughs) It knows what you're thinking. The ocean and Nancy Reagan are going to get us. God damn it. Not if Nancy Grace gets us first. <laughs> Nancy Grace will always get you first. <laughs> she always does. Always. She sees you when you're sleeping. She does, though. She does not sleep. All of this speaks to a larger issue that has plagued the music business for decades. How much responsibility does music hold in relation to shootings, specifically school shootings? Oh, all of it. <laughs> They're all, you, they're all responsible. What are you hearing? It's, it's the death metal. It's the death metal. It's death right in the name. Did you hear it? <laughs> Terrible for the children. <laughs> Thank you, Joan Rivers. You're welcome. <laughs> Many school shootings that have gotten major publicity have a song or a musician attached to it, which the media says influenced the shooter in some way. Oh, shit. And these claims are usually largely overblown, but that doesn't stop people from misconstruing the artist's intentions. Because, I mean, why blame the person who did the crime when you can blame Blame somebody else that you don't like? Exactly. Hey, they could have Christian parents and we don't want to piss them off. They're going to vote for me. You can't piss off the Christians. They'll come for you. They will, though. And your dogs. I've seen it. Of course, the most famous example of this is Columbine. (sighs) On April 20th, 1999, two senior students named Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris killed 12 students and one teacher and wounded, wounded 24 others at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. The media had a field day with this story. Yeah. Falsely reporting that Dylan and Eric were massive Marilyn Manson fans and the sole purpose of the killings was motivated by his music. Yeah. And I believe we talked a little bit about this in our Marilyn Manson episode. Oh, we talked about it a bit more in depth in our Marilyn Manson episode and a bit in our Nine Inch Nails episode. Yep. Because Nine Inch Nails was lumped in in there too. Oh, yeah. Basically, anybody who was on Interscope, they were like, your scope is bad. Did you know they have the rap lyrics? Actually, I did fail to mention this in the Nine Inch Nails episode, but they mistook Nine Inch Nails for a rap group. Oh my god! Yeah, the the Nine Inch Nails rap group. <laughs> that rap group that inches of nine nails. That, that little five foot seven white boy is rapping, <laughs> oh rapping about shooting people. First of all, Trent Reznor <laughs> rapping. Oh no. Oh no. That's just almost as bad as Didi Ramon rapping. But still not as. <laughs> but no. not as, yeah. Not as. It was also widely reported that they were part of a gothic cult and were wearing Marilyn Manson t shirts during the shooting. Oh god, like the miss fucking information yeah. of this is rampant. It's so hilariously terrible. Yeah. Because like, they it's just comic. 
they, it's comically terrible because they made a narrative that they believed was true and it couldn't have like the reality was nothing but farther from the truth oh yeah but you'll get to it i assume well i will not steal your thunders until then let's take a small listen to uh, a little bit of um what their favorite Irrespon- band it was irris- irresponsible hate anthem off of antichrist superstar by marilyn manson yeah their favorite their favorite musician their favorite to admit it but i do love i wasn't born with enough middle fingers yeah i kind of like, like that i really hate i wasn't how intelligent marilyn manson's lyrics are because i really like them but i fucking hate marilyn manson i think the problem is that marilyn manson had was at a crossroads in his life and there was a denny's on one side <laughs> and an ihop on the other oh. and motherfucker clearly went to denny's yeah I mean, either way, you're losing. But but the Denny's was the worst option. You could have had like pretty decent pancakes, but no, you, the pancakes you fucked are up. Still good. Yeah, and they have syrup that tastes like birthday cakes. So <laughs> go to IHOP. Yeah. But he fucking picked Denny's, and he did. he he picked wrong. And he's a bad person. Also, he drops the N word in this song, and he then does. It takes away the fact that I really like that lyric yeah. about middle fingers. Yeah. Cool, Marilyn so. Manson. Your absinthe does not make up for your bullshit. Mansynth doesn't make up for anything. Doesn't Mansynth doesn't make up for your bullshit. It's <laughs> the best I could do. I'll just I'll move on, please. Marilyn Manson was immediately torn apart in the press. Despite the fact that he canceled numerous shows right after the shooting, people yeah. were not satisfied. For years afterward, Marilyn Manson shows were picketed and protested by conservative and religious groups and sometimes successfully canceled. Yeah, I covered this in the Marilyn Manson episode. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you remember? I remember that. <laughs> Marilyn Manson didn't go back to Colorado for over two years. Yeah. When he did, a religious group called the Citizens for Peace and Respect backed by then-Governor Bill Owens, demanded he be canceled. Manson even got death threats, which seems Wait. highly hypocritical. Wait. From the peace and respect? Yeah. Weird. Hmm. It's almost like Christians are fucking hypocrites. It's almost like it's okay when they do it, well, but it's, it's not okay when, when other people do it. We're doing it for wow. God? Because um, so it's, it's for God. Different. It's We're doing it for Jesus. Jesus told us so. It's and you fine. said you don't like Jesus, and Jesus told us to like <laughs> send you death threats. He's like really mad at you. And like the power of Christ compels you. Okay. Jesus told me to tell you like he's really mad, and he's not gonna talk to you in eighth period now. <laughs> That's what these fucking dumbass Christians are like. Marilyn Manson just looking at them like, what the fuck? <laughs> and his stupid fucking makeup, just his like stupid, uh, his one contact lens. You know, he goth can't see. clown makeup. Like, by the way, you know what that whiteout lens? He can't see shit, so he only has 
like vision in one eye. <laughs> he can only see half these fucking dipshits you know calling what? on Jesus. <laughs> only time I'm going to say it. Good for him. In this situation, good for him. God, I don't know who I'd... And honestly... I don't know who I'd let drown. Probably both. He actually had some really good comebacks for these people that were quite intelligent and very funny. Yeah. Why couldn't you keep being like that, Marilyn Manson? <laughs> no, you had yeah. to be a fucking lady abuser, you yeah, piece of shit. Yeah. Why'd you gotta do that, though? Subscribe to our Patreon and you'll hear us bitch more about that as yeah. if you really wanted to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway... The CPR stated their agenda was to educate people about what Marilyn Manson really stands for, which they thought was murder and mayhem. And nothing could be farther from the truth. While Marilyn Manson is generally classified as a shock rocker, he's not inciting children to commit murder. Oh, never. He's not promoting violence and suicide in his lyrics. He's providing an emotional outlet that shows kids that someone understands how they feel. Yup. One of the tracks that we debated playing was Man That You Fear. And I remember in high school really relating to that song. Yeah, it's like being the freak in the midst of Abercrombie and Fitch lovers. Yes. You you are the w- fucking weirdo. Now it's cool to be the goth weirdo. But like yeah. back then, if you were the hot topic kid in a sea of preppy kids. Oh, my God. You were the man that they feared. Dude. I, or do a woman you- they feared. Human they feared. The human they feared. Yeah. I, oh my God. I, there is something about when you grow up as an outcast from like a young age, when you are from like elementary school up through high school, you embrace it. Mm -hmm. You get to a point where you're like, fine, fuck it. Am I the weirdo? Cool. I'm going to wear the Jinko jeans and the fishnet shit and I'm going to spike my hair in Liberty Spikes and I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to chop all my hair off. You because no matter dick. what, you're going to make fun of me anyway. So, so at least fuck it. If I feel good about myself, at least when I'm with my friends, then at least I have one place of escape. And at least if the music is speaking to me and even if it's fucking, God, depressing as shit, like Nine Inch Nails Downward Spiral or Marilyn Manson's Man That You Fear, at, at least, least I feel like somebody out there who is making money and making music is talking to me. At least I can commiserate commiserate with somebody. Yes, and that's what that music is for. It is not... T- no music has ever fucking told anybody to go out there and kill people, except for, like, maybe Trapped. <laughs> Do you think Trapped did that? They might have. But, like, is anybody listening? That's why no one's done it for Trapped. Yeah. That's why Trapped's never cited us an influence. But granted, like, they're taking their own advice because Headstrong... They'll take you on uh, on Twitter. If a kid who's a fan of Marilyn Manson still goes out and commits murder, that's not the musician's fault. Nope. And far more factors than a song that talks about suicide should be taken into consideration. Yep. It's only been recently that people have finally started circulating the truth that no, Dylan and Eric were not part of a gothic cult and they actually despise Marilyn Manson. Yup. They were not fans of his and were in no way influenced by him to murder. And I have to say, for his part, Marilyn Manson's response to all of this criticism was fairly intelligent. Yeah. He penned an essay in Rolling Stone that challenged the idea that he, among other controversial bands like Nine Inch Nails, are to blame for causing violence in teens. So I'm going to read a little bit of it because I think it's pretty important and it's actually pretty intelligent. Okay. 
quote, when it comes down to who's to blame for the high school murders in Littleton, Colorado, throw a rock and you'll hit someone who's guilty. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We're the people who sit back and tolerate children owning guns, and we're the ones who tune in and watch the -the up-to-the-minute details of what they do with them. It was unthinkable that these kids did not have a simple black-and-white reason for their actions, and so a scapegoat was needed. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say, Even if they were fans of Marilyn Manson, that gives them no excuse, nor does it mean that music is to blame. Did we look for Dave Huberty's inspiration when he gunned down people in McDonald's? What did Timothy McVeigh like to watch? What about David Koresh and Jim Jones? What inspires Bill Clinton to blow people up in Kosovo? Mm -hmm. Why do we justify one just because it seems to be for the right reasons? If a kid is old enough to drive a car or buy a gun, isn't he old enough to be held personally responsible for what he does with his car or gun? Yeah. Yes. Yes, he is. 100. He makes a very, very good point. Yes. Like, you can't... You can't question Marilyn Manson's actions and blame him for these murders just as much as you could Bill Clinton for bombing Kosovo. Because as much as I don't like Bowling for Columbine and it has its problems, oh, yeah. like there's a really good interview with him in there where he says on the same day that these murders happened, Bill Clinton dropped bombs and killed innocent civilians in kosovo so how can you different because he's the president and they don't live in america and they're not our kids but he makes a good point like bill clinton was the president he is far more influential on people than marilyn manson is so why weren't people questioning bill clinton's actions for killing innocent civilians and question but Turning around and questioning Marilyn Manson's yeah, music. I mean, honestly, it is a valid point. Just because music exists, I think they're for the one person that commits some bullshit and may have been a fan of an artist, there are thousands of other fans who listen to the same artist haven't done bullshit. Exactly. So I'm sorry. We're going to blame the one bad egg. And is it because you know that Bill Clinton was d- listening to Don't Stop by Fleetwood Mac while he was bombing Which is arguably somehow? way worse than Antichrist Superstar. Seriously. Don't stop blaming Marilyn Manson for shit. Don't stop blaming, blaming Marilyn, Marilyn Manson. Manson. <laughs> That's what Christine McVie really meant to write. Oh, uh, she knew. Yeah. But yeah, why do we need a scapegoat? Why do we feel the need to blame outside factors when it was when it's 100% the murderer's own decision to be a murderer? Yeah. It is completely unfair to blame music for a crime when there are far more corruptible influences in the world and guns are so unbelievably accessible. Yeah. I y- Yep. I'm saying things you already know. Yeah, like I don't even know how to add on to that. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm so tired of the gun thing. Yeah. I'm so tired of guns. Yeah. Marilyn Manson is far from the first person to be vilified for allegedly influencing people to kill. Hmm. On August 7th, 1986, 19-year-old John McCullum committed suicide, and a year later, his parents brought Ozzy Osbourne and two record labels, Jet and CBS Records, to court. Holy shit. They claimed that John had been listening to Ozzy's album, blizzard of oz which still cracks me up every time i see it (laughs) okay good i can laugh about that because that's (laughs) ridiculous 
Um, they claimed he was listening to Blizzard of Oz on the day he died and singled out the song Suicide Solution as the one that pushed their son over the edge. Sure. So let's listen to that for a hot second. Sorry, listening to that made me laugh a little bit because the picture on the YouTube it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous yeah. of Ozzy. He had so many finger armor things on. I think jelly bracelets too. Yeah. He was a big fan of Spencer's. Who wasn't in the early odds? I don't know. <laughs> it was so much more than like dick pasta and like strobe lights dick back pasta? then. Oh, yeah, they yeah, had like dick a whole pasta. section of like dick stuff. For like bachelorette parties. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay, serious. 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 The charges were that Ozzy and the record labels were criminally negligent by including Suicide Solution on the album and that they knew the song would, quote, would, or at the very least, could promote suicide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you I know picture that picture Ozzy sitting in the fucking recording studio? Like, Ozzy Osbourne. You're like, oh, I know what's really going to get the kids Oh, killing themselves off themselves. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, no, no one, no, nobody does that. Nobody does that. And you know what? Like, you've seen the Osbournes. Ozzy Osbourne would never do that. <laughs> no, he's kind of a lovable oaf. Yeah, I mean, at that point, he was here. He was a drunk and full of fucking coke. He's a coked out Dude. drunk. Wasn't he, but he still wasn't yeah. thinking about the yeah. kids. He was a coked out drunk, <laughs> also a dad, and like I don't know, coked out drunk dad, coked out daddy, <laughs> coke daddy. Oh, no, that's no, no, no. Ozzy I, does not I, get to me, go on the daddy I'm list. I'm going back on my notes. Keep going no. to the notes. Ozzy has always maintained that the song was inspired by Bon Scott and was a warning against the dangers of drugs and alcohol, which makes sense if you actually fucking read the lyrics. Oh, uh, but that means I have to work. Mm. Mm. But the McCollums and their attorneys insisted differently. They claimed that the song contained the lyrics, try it, get the gun and shoot. However, Ozzy and his co-writer Bob Daisley said that the lyrics really said, get the flaps out. Flaps being a racy term for vagina. <laughs> oh my god. Wait a second. Imagine real? arguing that in court. <laughs> I really meant the flaps, like, you, you know, know, the pull the vagina that you slip open and put your you dick know, in. Them roast beef curtains. Flap them out. Woof. Get the flaps. Out. I am offended. I do not have roast beef <laughs> curtains. You did this. Uh, anyway. In December 1985, a judge ruled that Ozzy had the absolute First Amendment right to talk about suicide in his songs, and he threw the case out. Yup. Because no fucking shit. (laughs) Because, yeah. John McCollum's parents appealed, but a judge upheld the verdict. Superior Court Judge John Cole said, quote, 
Musical lyrics and poetry cannot be construed to contain the requisite call to action for the elementary reason that they simply are not intended to and should not be read literally. Reasonable persons understand musical lyrics and poetic conventions as the figurative expressions which they are. He also stated that even if Ozzy intended to say that suicide is preferable to everyday life, he has the constitutional right to do so because free speech. Yeah, welcome to America, bitch. Yeah. Look, I can sympathize with that feeling where something fucking terrible happened to someone you love and you'll never see them again and you want to blame somebody. Yeah. Ooh, you want to blame everybody. Ooh, you sure do. Ooh, you sure want to blame somebody. That is one of the stages of grief, isn't it? Yeah, that's definitely... You know, starting a lawsuit and bringing a world-famous musician to court, that's a stage of grief, right? I think that's the third stage of grief. (laughs) But there is definitely a level of when something awful happens and someone dies, you want to blame somebody because... There needs to be an answer. We 100% did that when a friend of ours passed away. Oh my God. Absolutely did that. Here's the thing. There is a little voice in the back of your head that says, but like, but that's you know right. you're making this up so that you can feel better, right? Yeah. And you're angry. You're like, shut up, voice. <laughs> I know. Let me have this. And the voice is like, all right, come back in like eight months when you've calmed down a little. Yeah. I will. Thank you. <laughs> and you do. And you and you talk to the little voice. And, you're, and your little voice is like, should you go back to therapy? And you're like, yeah, I'm going to go back to therapy. And your little voice is like, I'm really proud of you. And I'm like, thank you. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> and you go back to therapy. And you slowly deal with the fact that we're all going to die someday. Yep. And sometimes somebody's going to die before you. And that's bullshit. And you go to a rage room, and you cry a lot, and you listen to sad music, but you don't sue Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, like, just go to a rage room. Seriously, just go to they're rage room. fucking fantastic. Oh, my God. Uh, chef's kiss. Chef's kiss for them rage rooms. A few years later, in 1990, Judas Priest found themselves in the middle of a highly publicized backmasking lawsuit. Mm, we talked about this. Which we also talked about a bit in our two-parter on Judas Priest. Father Judas. Father Judas. (laughs) On December 23rd, 1985, which weirdly is not only my birthday, but is also Eddie Vedder's birthday. Wait a minute. You and Eddie Vedder have the same exact birthday? We do. Oh, wait. But he's 60-something. He No, he's 50-something. He is 19 years older than me. No, I meant like he was born in 60-something. Yes. For a second, I was like, he's not the same age as us. No, he was born in 1964. But he is 5'7". Yeah. yeah so this was my second birthday in his 21st birthday wow so happy birthday to you guys sure i guess <laughs> anyway on december 23rd 1985 20 year old james vance and 18 year old ray belknap attempted to commit suicide at a playground after drinking heavily ray belknap died instantly after he put a shotgun to his chin and fired James Vance followed suit but survived, leaving his face severely disfigured. Mm -hmm. James himself and his parents led the charge against Judas Priest, claiming that the song Better By You, Better Than Me had a subliminal message in it saying, do it repeatedly. That, James claimed, is what goaded him and his friend to attempt suicide. So let's listen to it. So let's listen. See if you can hear do it. See if you can hear it. about you better than me 
Yeah, I totally heard that. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Bye You're guys. Going. Off in yourself as we speak. Yep. And I'm gone. Mm. <laughs> Bye. Oh my god. <laughs> the case was dismissed when the judge ruled that even if any subliminal messages could exist in the song, they had nothing to do with the suicides. Rob Halford made a very good point in the documentary Dream Deceivers. Mm. If they were going to put hidden messages in their music, they certainly wouldn't put ones in that would make them lose fans. Yep. They put in messages saying, buy our albums or <laughs> buy our merch or give us some fucking money. Like, you're not going to off your fans that are giving you money by buying your records and going to your shows. I mean, if anything, really, Rob Halford big. But do you like the same sex? Because that's totally okay. <laughs> Stop letting the society tell us that it's yeah, wrong. Exactly. It's not. <laughs> Wait, so what beers, what were they drinking? What got them drunk? Do they know? Do they know oh, what alcohol know. they got drunk on? Weird. Why weren't Where they did they suing, get it from? Why weren't they suing the alcohol company? Right. Why weren't they suing the place that they got the booze from? Right. Why weren't they suing the drug dealers that they got their weed from? Why oh, weren't so they... they're only suing Judas Priest. Yeah. It was weird. solely Judas Priest that made them want to kill themselves. It wasn't the fact that they hated their lives or their parents or it wasn't drugs or anything else like that it was solely judas priest yeah you're right it was only judas's fault judas priest and ozzy wouldn't be the last metal bands to be accused of influencing people to kill oh no in 2000 reigning thrash metal band slayer was brought to trial by david and lisane paler they alleged that slayer's music particularly the songs post-mortem and dead skin mask influenced three teenage boys jacob delashmitt uh, Joseph Fiorella and Royce Casey to murder their daughter Elise and commit acts of necrophilia on her. Yeah, it's fucked up. Uh, but let's listen to Postmortem by uh, Slayer a little bit. Uh, hmm? I don't know why, but this one I'm like... It's fucked up. Yeah. Fucked up. You know, I think any feels to uh, doing necrophilia, but that song slaps. It's a pretty slappy song. Slappy song, indeed. On July 22nd, 1995, the three boys lured Elise to a eucalyptus grove in their hometown of Arroyo Grande, California. They promised hangouts and pot, but instead they strangled, stabbed, and stomped Elise, then watched her slowly die of blood loss. Oh, Nope, that goes well beyond like a song influencing you. That is some yeah. sociopathic bull. Yeah, that's like that is some like absolute dissociative. Not only that, but like Slayer has some like ridiculous lyrics, but mm-hmm. I don't think that they have any that say specifically rape and murder a a young girl. No, no. I, I haven't heard them say it yet. Especially for the sole purpose of Satanism. No. So, you gotta say no. In a move 
taken straight from the Varg Vickerness How to Be a Deplorable Piece of Shit and Make Everybody Hate You handbook. Oh, no. They said they killed Elise because they were Satanists and sacrificing a blonde, blue-eyed virgin would please Satan and make their death metal band, quote, go professional. First of all, if you know anything about Satanism, there's nothing about killing somebody in that. It has absolutely nothing to... Even... The different variations of Satanism that are Mm -hmm. out there, absolutely not a single one of them condones murder. Nope. Rape. Nope. Necrophilia. Mm -mm. Animal sacrifice. Mm, Nope. Absolutely none of it. In fact, or human sacrifice. No sacrifice whatsoever. In fact, Satanists are some of the nicest, most well meaning people that I have ever met in my life. Most Satanists I know are vegans. That tells you a lot. I just want y'all to know. That tells you a lot. Yeah. And they do a fuck ton of charity work. Yeah. And they are super awesome people. So fuck you for thinking that Satanists are otherwise. But you know, a lot of serial killers like to watch people bleed out. Yeah. And those are just people with fucked up brains. That's just what you call a murderer. A lot of murderers. (laughs) Yeah. These guys are not Satanists. They're They're fucking murderers. murderers. The teenagers were huge Slayer fans, so of course Slayer became the target of Paler's wrath. The original lawsuit was thrown out, with the judge saying that there was basically no legal position that could make Slayer responsible for Elise's death. No. The Palers tried again with a second lawsuit, saying Slayer, quote, knowingly distributed harmful material to minors. But but did they ever sue the families of the boys that murdered her? Nope. Weird. So you think that a heavy metal band that some boys are really into had more of an influence on these murderous boys than their families, their yeah. environment, their mental health they might have grown up with brain damage, environmental um, factors. Maybe they were torturing animals before this, wetting the bed. Maybe anything. they had you know, Neg- concussion parents or head trauma or anything. Narcissistic disorders. No. Oh, we're just going to blame just some gonna metal blame, band. Yeah, we're just really going to blame Slayer. Not going to blame the music that they, or the movies that they watch mm. or the beverages or the they video drank, games, the food that they ate. Did they eat a lot of Twinkies? Do they have the <laughs> Twinkie defense? Twinkies make you murderous. Everybody knows that. They had low sh- blood sugar. But you they know had what? to murder. Them ho-hos. And them ding-dongs. No, give me a double dog any day. Them ding-ding-dongs. Ding-a-ding-dongs. The judge again threw the case out, saying, quote, I do not consider Slayer's music obscene, indecent, or harmful to others, because this judge knows what's up. Mm. This guy called the Henry Rollins What's Up Hotline <laughs> and was like, yo, tell me what's up with Slayer. And Henry Rollins was like, yo, they cool. And he was like, hey, I- Slayer's a really good band. You should totally let them go. It's fine. They didn't fucking do anything. They didn't do anything. But, like, did we look into these kids' parents? Did they ignore them? Did they drop them on the head? Because head damage is a big thing about sociopathic tendencies. And then just a long fucking rant about mental health and children. And then just like, and that's Henry's What's Up Hotline. And then hang up. Boo. And <laughs> but then he was like, like yo, banana splits is fine, though. <laughs> They should really put that back into schools. It was really helpful. <laughs> but maybe don't call it banana splits. Call it something a little maybe less Maybe give it a more PC kind of title. And then everything will be fine. Okay, bye. 
<laughs> yeah. So basically, stop trying to take musicians to court over the terrible shit teenagers do. Have you looked at yourselves? Have you looked at your choices? And you know what? I'm not even saying that's always the parent. But also, <laughs> what have you done for me lately? <laughs> seriously like make mental health support more available for children with depression pay attention to the bullshit they're going through and recognize changes in behavior stop trying to blame outside sources for your child's internal turmoil yeah 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 granted we don't really see many subliminal message lawsuits these days which is great but cancel culture kind of takes care of that job pretty swiftly oh god for instance foster the people came under fire for their song pumped up kicks in the 2010s and the internet immediately pointed a finger at them many fingers i mean if you don't know the song, shook them real hard we'll I'd be play it now if you don't but we're gonna play it video it's still kind of a jam but yeah the video the video was filmed well before this became a huge hit i just so feel like i get they that it's done something a little more thoughtful than a bunch of white boy hipsters in brooklyn considering the subject matter of the song yes it could be better than just like a bunch of la douche bros with emo tats or are they hanging out i thought they're in brooklyn i don't know i feel like what's they're the LA. difference seriously what's the difference Anyway, I couldn't really understand the lyrics for a long time. I never bothered Same. to look them up. Same. Then the Parkland school shooting happened on Valentine's Day in 2018, and all of a sudden I started hearing that Pumped Up Kicks was canceled. I didn't understand the correlation until I read the Whoa, lyrics. Wait a minute, wait. wait. I knew that Pumped Up Kicks was about school shootings before the Parkland shooting. Did no one else? I did not. Oh, no. Like, what, Pumped Up Kicks came out in, like, 2012, I think? 2013? No, it came out in 2010, 2011. Yeah, but, like, I remember discovering that it was about school shootings because I was watching some fucking dumb YouTube videos, like, lyrics that you don't know are actually really fucked up, and this was on the Oh, really? List. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. It was, like, 2012, 2013 then. Well, see, everybody didn't know that they were really fucked up. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that no one else knew. Okay. Right. Yeah, I didn't... Because I wasn't a big Foster the People fan, so I, I didn't really look into was, it. Look, I'm not going to lie. I thought this was a jam. It is a jam. It is a jam. And then once I heard, like, oh, it's about school shootings, every time I hear, like, this is about school shootings. <laughs> this is about school shootings. Cool. Ooh. Yeah. I didn't understand the correlation until I read the lyrics and realized, oh, it's about a violent teenager that finds his dad's gun and brings it to school. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's okay. Because I just didn't care enough about foster the people right right i mean there's plenty of people apparently who did it i guess so pumped up kicks actually got canceled twice for these lyrics it first started getting attention in january 2011 
But the Sandy Hook shooting happened in December 2012, and radio stations pulled it from the airwaves. Do you know what else they pulled from the airwaves at that time? I can add a little nugget to this. So Kesha's song, Die Young, Mm. came out right before the Parkland shooting. Yep. Legit, like, a month or two. Didn't she pull it, like, right away, though? Yeah, they pulled it right away. And, like, she was fine with it. It wasn't, like, a shitty thing about it. Yeah. But, I mean, like... But I, I'm not going to try to piggyback on, or I'm not going to try to steal your thunder with the um, cancel culture thing, but people tried to go at her for it. Yeah. But, like, she wrote the song before the Parkland shooting, and it's just, like, a song about, like, hey, let's live like we're going to die young. Parkland shooting happened, and she's like, JK, take it out, take it out, take it out. Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. just, I didn't know this was going to happen. Let's just, like, be sensitive. Yeah. And I think even foster the people were pretty, like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, like... Everybody tried to be pretty chill about, like, yeah. this horrific thing just happened. Take my music Maybe away. Maybe this song is pretty insensitive and we shouldn't. Everybody was cool with it. Yeah. However. But cancel culture has a way of digging their nails so far deep into the butthole of, like, what whatever is okay and fine and just ripping it apart. Oh, my God. I just had a realization. Yeah. Do you think... Because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of social media, because of all these things, we have embraced all these tragedies as our own, and we have become the parents that want to blame music. And uh, that's why in some in cases like this, cancel, cancel culture exists because in cases like this, we want to get mad and we want to blame somebody because we don't understand how the fuck something like this could happen. So we're like, hey, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I don't know if it's necessarily we want to blame somebody. It's just that we see somebody that is being slightly problematic and dumping all of our issues onto that person to a point where they cannot function anymore. Yeah. I think that's what cancel culture. But have we become the universal angry parent of a teenager that did something really horrible? We haven't become the angry parent. We have become the angry teenager that is more than happy to point the finger first. Oh my God. We're still fucking teenagers. We're still teenagers. Yeah. I'm out. I'm sorry. Did I? I'm, I still have like a half a page. Can I? Can I yeah, continue? Yeah, go ahead. Let's finish. This. <laughs> Did I ruin it? <laughs> no, I just ruined my life. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> but after Sandy Hook, Pumped Up Kicks didn't really go away. It continued to be a popular song that you would hear pretty much everywhere and mm-hmm. until the Parkland shooting. That's when everyone was like, "Yeah, this song needs to stop." Which I don't think is necessarily fair. Nope. The lyrics aren't telling kids to go find their parents' gun and shoot up their school. It's just telling the fictional story of a kid that happened to do that. Right. Because it was happening all around us at that time. It's basically Jeremy of the 2010s. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So to bring this back around to Jeremy. Ooh. Although the song is known to have highlighted a school-related tragedy, it was also cited as an inspiration for a school shooting that happened on February February 2nd, 1996. Come on. <laughs> like, this, this never ends. This never ends. 14-year-old Brian Lucatus. Luca- yeah, Lucatus. I don't care if I pronounce it correctly or not. Fuck this guy. 
brought a rifle and two guns, two handguns to school that day. Dressed as a Western gunslinger, he shot and killed his algebra teacher and two students and tried to hold the rest of the class hostage before a gym teacher subdued him. During Lucatus's trial, prosecutors tried to argue that he was influenced by the video for Jeremy. This seems contradictory because the kid in the video kills himself, not his classmates. Right. But they also made it ambiguous because they wouldn't show the part. Right. Back then, people didn't know that the video meant to depict Jeremy committing suicide because of that deleted scene. Mm. Most people assumed he shot his classmates. But how often did this kid play the video game Doom? Can we talk about <laughs> But that? can we talk about Doom? But can we talk about Doom? <laughs> because video games. Video I games. knew you were going to do that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Turns out Lucatus was more influenced by Stephen King novels than Pearl Jam. So the band was never brought to trial. Wait, where's Stephen King's trial? Yeah, yeah he 100% said he was influenced by the main character in Stephen King's novel Rage. I don't even know that book. I don't either. It's not even a good Stephen King book. It's not even a good one. (laughs) I only base my murders off the worst Stephen King books. Yeah. But but, honestly, like, legit, where is Stephen King's fucking trial? Exactly. But, I mean, they didn't bring Pearl Jam to trial. They just mentioned that he was influenced by Jeremy. So Pearl Jam got off the hook, but there were so many other bands that didn't. Most won their trials on the grounds of free speech but not without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal fees and also can we talk about the mental toll it does take on these people yeah like judas priest feels fucking horrible to be associated with that with that murder suicide thing or just suicide not murder yeah sorry but still like they feel fucking horrible I bet for being even a part Ozzie of it feels terrible i yeah. bet fucking i know fucking trent feels terrible I Foster the say... People doesn't even want to perform Pumped Up Kicks anymore. I know. Kesha's won't perform Die Young. Right. And it, I'm even going to give Marilyn Manson, God damn it, some credit on mm. one thing and one thing only. I bet As he, much as we don't want to. We, we don't want to. to. I am willing to bet, like, I don't think he regrets anything, but I bet it did right. make him think, like, wait, oh shit, I do have influence. Right. And it makes... I'll give him a slight bit of... (laughs) It just makes artists think twice about the the art that they want to create. Because they know that now it will have an influence on younger people. At the end of the day, like, you can't blame art for this shit. You can't. Because an artist needs to be able to express themselves. If someone does something terrible to themselves or to something, someone else... Because of art, that isn't because of art. It's because there's something wrong with them. Right. Especially because we now know that like mental health and mental issues have so much more play in these situations than music ever could. Oh. Music is just a way to commiserate. Yes. Music is just a way to make you feel that somebody understands what you're going through. It's not going to influence you to pick up a gun and shoot someone. It's going to it's just going to make you feel that somebody else feels your pain too. Mm-hmm. 
So it's ridiculous to bring anybody to trial to try and say they influenced my son or daughter to go on this murderous rampage. Right. No, it's not. It's because, you know, there's, you know, a broken home, a tumultuous home, um, bullied at school. Mm-hmm. Um, Outcast. Outcast and other outside factors and internal factors that are not being addressed. It's not because this kid listened to this one Slayer song over and over again and thought, oh, I have to kill this girl and have sex with her dead body. Like, that's not... A fucking song is not going to change a a teenager's internal chemistry to make him think that this is okay. Yeah. That doesn't happen. There is something going on internally that is influencing that. Yeah, I mean, I can say with all honesty and knowing completely... Self-harm does not come because somebody told you to do it. Right. Exactly. It's because you personally, in your own brain, in your own body, feel worthless and feel not like you belong. Right. And you, this is a mental thing that you need to work on. Right. And this is the thing that is going to make things better, whether it's cutting yourself or shooting a classroom or committing suicide. Yeah. That is what you mentally think is going to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. It's not because a song told me. It's it not was because make it Marilyn better. Manson told us. Oh, trust me. <laughs> it's, it's not, not because, because Marilyn, Marilyn Manson. Manson told me. I'm shit. not going to give him that much fucking credit. Please stop giving Marilyn Manson that much credit. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. Legal fees are nothing compared to the lasting stigma a backmasking or subliminal message trial has on a band Mm -hmm. or the completely career ending effect of cancel culture. Mm -hmm. It may be beneficial to someone like Ozzy Osbourne who thrived on rumors of Satanism, Mm. but to a band like Foster the People, it means they don't even want to play the biggest hit of their career anymore. Yeah. Maybe... Let's all take a moment to not blame art and music and culture and maybe look at humans. Yeah. And I kind of feel like cancel culture has become the new legal trial. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think that as far as my research has shown me, I could be wrong. I don't think that there has been a, a trial like this in the last 15, 20 years ish. Yeah, At probably. least 10 years, because, like, Foster the People wasn't brought to court. Oh, okay, yeah, then so at least a decade, or maybe even two. Yeah. Close and, to two. Because um, the last one, I, the Columbine one was, like, probably, like, 99 to, like, 2000, 2001. And the Slayer one was 2000. Okay, so, like, maybe almost two decades to, a decade to two. Right, so cancel culture has kind of taken over for the legal trial. Damn. And has cancel culture has the power to end someone's career. So it's even more devastating almost than a legal trial. So, but at the same time, and that this is a discussion for a completely different episode, mm-hmm. but... Always do your research before completely going cancel culture. Yeah. The torch mob looks fun. 
Yeah, but, but always is that... step back and say, let me do my own research. Is that a click you really want to associate yourselves with so quickly? Let me make my own decision. Yeah. Moral of the story is, fuck Nancy Reagan. (laughs) 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 Fuck you, Nancy. (laughs) Basically, she started all this shit. It's really all Nancy Reagan's fault. We didn't even get into it, but it is all Nancy Reagan's fault. Yeah, basically. We'll do an episode on Nancy Reagan someday. Oh, I'm going to need to get drunker than this, and that's drunk. 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 Anyway, thanks guys for listening. That was our episode on, I guess the kids aren't all right. They are not all right on Jeremy and all of the school shootings. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. None of us were ever okay. But honestly, Jeremy is still a fucking jam. And so is all of 10. Yo, 10 is so good. And a young Eddie Vedder can get it. Get it. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you and yeah. appreciate you. Thanks for listening to our bullshit. Yeah, we just thought this would be an interesting episode. You know, a little bit of a different format than we're used to. Yeah, so. kind of talking about like how songs have affected culture. Yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe not all of you are going to go home for the holidays. So this And you is- shouldn't. Please don't. The Rony. Well, wait, like if you're home for the holidays is 20 minutes away. Great. Fine. Do it. Great. If you're traveling multiple hours, don't do it. If you're going on a plane, get the fuck out of there. (laughs) What are you doing? Pork chop sandwiches. (laughs) Fuck. Thank you guys for listening. If you are digging it and this is your first time here, go visit our website, rockcandypodcast.com. We got more episodes on whatever the fuck you want. And thank you so much to our network. Pantheon Podcasts is the MTV of podcasts as far as music podcasts go. And you can get all that you've ever wanted as far as music information goes from them and us. Also, if you want to give us your money, you can do that. You can go to patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. Give us your money. We'll give you shit in return, including a bonus episode every fucking month. Which will be soon. Yeah. And also, by the way, go listen to our sister podcast, Muses Podcast, because Jake Brennan from fucking Disgraceland is trying to steal their shit. And well, it's, it's not wrong. specifically him, but it is his network <laughs> is I'm trying to rip him. them off. And you know what? Stop. Don't. Don't I mean all right if you got Don't listen. rip off the hard work of women who have been doing this shit for years and years and And they're just fucking they don't have iHeartRadio giving them money. They're right. just doing their own shit. They're hard working ladies that are trying to give you the stories of the muses behind the great men of rock and roll. The okay and men of rock and roll supported the okay by men great of rock women. And, roll. and basically Jake Brennan's little production company is yanking their fucking uh, idea. idea. Yeah. And it's bullshit. So go to Muse's podcast and listen to them because Shanti and Lynx are fantastic. They are. And honestly, like I've listened to a bunch of shit. Their Patty Smith episode is chef's kiss. Yeah. And we're real angry about this. We're real angry. Shit. We will not let that happen. So please go do that. Yes. All right. Well, thanks guys for listening. Come back next week. For a happier story. <laughs> a much happier story. Much more happy. Oh boy, we need it. Yeah, we do. Uh, happy holidays. Don't get the Ronies. And we'll see you kids next week. And until then, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. Party on you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.